Hello, family. God bless you. Good evening to you. Glad to have you with our Bible study live. Thank you for those who are tuning in as well as those who are in the building. And uh, remember to like, share, comment. Uh, you guys make uh, the Bible study so engaging and we uh, so appreciate all that you do and um, all that you mean to us. All right. So let's go ahead. Good evening, Sister Ruby. Let's go ahead and bow our heads and we will uh, have a word of prayer. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you, praise you, and love you. We honor you for who you are and what you mean to us, God. Uh, we pray that you would illuminate this Bible study, God, that you would touch each and every listener, God, that you would just strengthen us and give us revelation knowledge that will flow freely, unhindered, and unchecked by any demonic forces. And we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. So beautiful to be part of such an amazing ministry. You guys uh, make me so proud to be your pastor and uh, the the way that our Bible study is growing on, uh, specifically online and people consistently tuning in shows me that you are uh, you are consistent about the word of God, which is great. So we've been in this breaking uh, series and so we've covered a lot of things. The first thing we went through was broken but uh, uh, broken beyond repair is, was the first one, broken beyond repair. The second one was breaking the unbreakable. And then last Sunday, this is where we rested on was breakout. And this is for our resurrection Sunday. And so you see the crown of thorns in the background image. But breakout was the focus. And so the definition that we were going to use was a forcible escape, especially from prison, a sudden advance to a new level. And I was using uh, those because of piggybacking off of breaking the unbreakable. And we were talking about the obstacles and challenges uh, that we face and actually going even further back, saying that once we've been broken in all the right places, when we do face obstacles and issues and uh, things we believe for God to break the unbreakable. But sometimes the way that he does that is through a breakout because, uh, as I put this up, sometimes the things that we deal with feel like prisons. And it feels like the, pris the prison is designed to keep us locked up forever. But even though we may be locked up momentarily, we're not locked out because of who we serve. And so the idea is that just as Jesus did with death and broke out of the grips and the holds of death, grave, and hell in order to achieve a resurrection, he's doing the same thing in our lives. He's breaking the unbreakable for us, but he's also going on the inside of us and helping us uh, break out. And what, we're, what we like to look at is also is a sudden advance to a new level. We are, we are constantly challenging this church and this ministry to look to go to higher levels, to never get to the place where we feel like uh, we can rest and everything's okay. Uh, but no, we want to go to another level. If there's another level available, we want to go there. Now, they do say new level, new devil, but we're not concerned about that. 
we, we believe that God will deal with every devil, but we're ready to go to whatever level we need to advance to. So having said that, we, uh, in this series, we've been working in Matthew specifically. And so for this, we decided to look at Matthew 26, 27, and uh, 28, using the English Standard Version. Of, of course, like I shared on Sunday, there's no way I could give a full on slot to the great story that is the resurrection. And so um, I was going to have to just take pieces of chapter 26, 27, and 28. And so that's what we did. But I, I thought a creative way that I could um, bring us up to speed without going through every single verse was to use movie uh, posters. And so we uh, we had like a little at the movies type of thing, faith on film, trying to tie that into our faith. So the first thing we used was Inside Man. Second thing we used was Shawshank Redemption. And actually it was, that was the first one that came to my mind because I'm uh, reminded that the whole premise of the movie is these two friends, but when you watch the whole thing, you see that the whole time they were working on a breakout, and that uh, leads me to this next one here as well, breakout. So we gave this statement that I use quite often throughout the sermon. It was Jesus was the inside man doing a redemption that would lead to a breakout for all mankind. I'll say that again. Jesus was the inside man doing a redemption that would lead to a breakout for all mankind. So uh, to go all the way back to what we would call the beginning of sin, the failure, from the moment that that failure started, there was a plan in place to redeem mankind. Because after all, God created us in his image after his likeness for the purposes that he desired for us. Sin got in the way. So the whole time there was a goal to get things turned back around. The problem that the creator of the universe had is that the scripture says he subjected the earth or the world into vanity, meaning he allowed us to have free will and choice. He didn't make us robots. He didn't make the world uh, go in the direction that it had to choose God. He gave us choice, but with giving us choice, a couple bad things happened. The first thing was uh, Adam and Eve, they had dominion over the earth, but they actually relinquished that dominion with the sin and they gave it over to Satan. So even though God was the creator of the world, he no longer owned the world. And because he had given dominion to man, only man could rectify the situation. Um, example that uh, comes to mind is if my daughter, who's in the third grade, if I send her to school and somebody uh, beats her up and takes her lunch, I'm, I'm going to go and talk to the uh, authorities or whatever, but what I'm not going to do is go and beat up the child that messed with my daughter. Why? Because I'm not on the same level of that child. No matter what the child did that was wrong, I would look like a fool to lower myself to that level. 
So what most people do, they train their child on how to defend themselves. They talk to the authorities as much as they can. But let's be honest, when you are a parent, you say, listen, if he does it again, punch him in his mouth. Or I'm going to show you how to not get your lunch taken. So the whole thing was that God was not going to come in and beat Satan himself because Satan was not on God's level. So he had to have a man to do it. But there wasn't a man um, at the highest enough level to get a hold of Satan. He tried several men throughout history. So the truth of the matter is he had to send his son to what I call reset. But what he did, which was so beautiful, he sent his son in the likeness of human flesh. And so he comes in the likeness of human flesh. And so uh, once again, we'll, we'll say it. Jesus was the inside man doing a redemption that would lead to a breakout for all mankind. So from the moment Jesus shows up on the scene as a baby, his goal was to work on redemption. But he was doing it not from the outside in. He was doing it from the inside out. And then when you start looking at the story of the Bible, you see all throughout Scripture is pointing to a Savior that would someday show up. But the funny thing is, is after the Savior shows up and we, we celebrate a resurrection, he, he leaves. It's like he didn't stay because his goal was not to stay. His goal was to empower us to overcome because the goal is that man has the dominion. So he came as a man, but he died as a man and he rose as a man to leave us back in charge. Because what he was trying to do, he was trying to work from the inside out. And the, the goal is to break us out, but then it's left for us to do the work because Satan is not on God's level. It's our job to take care of Satan. So having said that, let's, let's go through some of the scriptures from Sunday. Uh, Matthew 26, 1, when Jesus had finished all these things, he said to his disciples, you know that after two days, the Passover is coming and the son of man will be delivered up to be crucified. Now, Jesus couldn't have been any more clear than he was in that statement. But the thing about it was they just didn't see it. They heard it, but they didn't see it. When things are over your head, people can speak things to you, but you still not connect the dots until it actually happens. So all along, Jesus was saying, I have to die. I have to die. I have to be the sacrifice, even the Passover sacrifice, all the things led up to that, but they just didn't catch it many times because they were looking for one specific thing to happen. The specific thing they were looking for to happen was Jesus was going to come as the Messiah, but he was going to set up his literal kingdom overthrow Rome, the Jews would live happily ever after. But that wasn't his goal because his goal was bigger. His goal was for all humankind. So he didn't do what they thought he was going to do. And every time he announced it, they heard it, but they didn't hear it. And I, I bring that up to say that as you walk with God, many times God is showing you things, but you don't see them because you don't want to see them. Because you are, you have in your mind's eyes the way things are going to go. And it's not until you step back and realize that many times Jesus works on the inside, behind the scenes, 
to break you out for his purpose, not so much for your purpose. So he breaks you out of the prisons of life because of things he has planned for you. And it takes a while to figure that out. But at some point you realize that God has the bigger plan and the bigger picture and you have to trust his bigger picture or trust the process. But we are just like the disciples where many times things are happening and we just aren't catching it. So let's see if we can look back and uh, dig a little deeper. Verse three, then the chief priests and the elders of the people gathered in the palace of the high priest, whose name was Caiaphas, and plotted together in order to arrest Jesus by stealth and kill him. So they were going to arrest him secretly. They had a plan and a, uh, and, and a plot, and they were going to try to do it by stealth. They didn't want anybody to know. But previously it was said that Jesus already knew what he was walking to. So that, that, that tells us a major thing is that oftentimes when Satan begins to plan and plot, he's actually planning and plotting right into the purpose of God. He's actually working with God without knowing it. So many times we are oblivious to the greater purpose of God, but so is our enemy. So I always would encourage us when you run into hard things, don't automatically assume, what did I do wrong that God doesn't love me anymore? Sometimes you ought to think, wow, what did I do right to make the devil act the way he's acting because if he's acting this way many times he's probably working in tandem with God without knowing it so if I can just allow God to do his work inside me maybe a breakout is going to come or maybe something positive is going to happen so that's why every Sunday I try to impart hope now I can't promise you everything is going to go uh, the way you want and I, I, I'm not trying to give people false hope, but I am trying to impart hope because when you run into something, I don't want you to quit and give up. I want you to be inspired that, oh, maybe things are working in my favor. So it's my job as a, a leader and a pastor, specifically on Sunday, to really spark hope in you. Now, on Wednesday, I try to dig a little deeper and give you a little more background. But the overall thing is life is hard. Life is difficult, and if you walk through life just willy-nilly blind, you'll be blindsided by stuff. But if you walk with an expectant hope when things happen, you can start putting the pieces of the puzzle together and say, oh, maybe this happened for that, and that's where our faith comes in, and it keeps us from crumbling, and it keeps us uh, going down the path. I'll, I'll give you uh, another example there's times where I, I'm driving and I'm, I'm like lost. I, I think I know where I'm going, but I'm lost. But I know that if I turn around at the wrong time, I could waste a lot of time. So I just try to keep going forward until I can see a glimpse of something that I remember. For example, when I drive to a new place, sometimes on the way back home, I'm like, man, I don't remember this. I don't remember passing this. Then I see something, oh, yeah, I do. I remember that McDonald's. So I know I'm on the right path, so I keep going forward. But every time you feel like you're lost, if you turn around or if you pull over the side of the road, you'll never get anywhere. You have to, at some point, keep going forward. And my, my goal is to keep 
inspiring you to keep going forward because as the series is saying, something is breaking. You may feel like you're breaking down, but I'm trying to prove to you something is breaking on the outside of you and you're actually coming into new heights and deeper depths. You're actually rising, growing, but you have to not be distracted by all the noise that Satan sends you because Satan, he throws the noise your way because he really thinks he's when he really thinks he has you trapped up. He really, really thought he had Jesus trapped up, but he was really playing into the hands of God. All right. So having said that, let's move forward. Verse five, but they said not during the feast, lest there be an uproar among the people. And then we jump down to 14 and 15. Then one of the 12, whose name was Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests and said, what will you give me if I deliver him over to you? And they paid him 30 pieces of silver, verse 16. And from that moment, he sought an opportunity to betray him. So we, we all know about Judas Iscariot. He was the betrayer. And uh, the point that it teaches us that there could be someone very close to you on your team that Satan can get to to sell you out. What I like to look at is instead of looking at an outside person, I like to look at the many times it's pieces of me that betray me. There's always a Judas in me. In other words, there's a portion of me that is uh, that leans toward betraying Jesus, that leans toward doing things my own way. And if it gives me immediate gratification, I'll push Jesus to the back so that I can achieve the immediate gratification. Judas, for him, it was the 30 pieces of silver. For us, it could be an orgasm, could be a a high. It could be uh, allowing our anger, our temper to do whatever. We have to be careful of the Judases in us, not just the Judases around us, the things in us that we'll trade God for for the immediate. And we, we have to be okay with expressing that I sometimes betray Jesus. I sometimes will choose other things and be okay with repenting from that and saying, God, I want to do better. If you cover it up, lie about it, hide it, pretend it's not there, it does you no good. So as your leader... I always try to put myself on the spotlight and be transparent and say, hey, I have issues. That way it makes it comfortable for you to say, I have issues. And then we can grow together and we won't become the Judases. If you, I, I didn't do it on Sunday, but if you see the story, Judas was so hurt over what he did, he ended up pretty much uh, committing suicide because of the guilt. So the gratification is never greater than the guilt. That's something that you just have to teach yourself over time. When you try to gratify yourself, the guilt is much worse. So now that I've made that point clear, let's jump to this point. Satan thought Judas was the inside man, but what Satan meant as betrayal, God was using for the breakout. In two ways, in the in the way which I just explained it, where we can be the Judas, many times it is Satan prompting us to do the things that would push Jesus to the background, that would betray Jesus. It is also Satan prompting people around us sometimes to betray us. But in either case, 
Many times what Satan is meaning for evil, God has a way of turning it for good. One of the greatest things that's happened for me is for me to see me. And I realize, oh, yeah, I'm not really that great without God. Now, I'm amazing with God. Apart from God, I'm nothing. I don't care how many things I get right. I don't care how many accolades and praise I get. I understand without God, I'm nothing. Well, how did you get to that point? Well, there were some times where I just blew it and messed up, but those things taught me and it actually put me in a better place. It actually makes, makes me a better leader, better preacher, better person because of the failures that I went through. So what Satan thought he was doing and causing me to betray, it actually moved me further and closer to God. To be honest, life is hard for us but life has to be extra, extra frustrating for Satan because he does all this stuff and then it somehow it brings us closer to God. We don't sometimes realize how many, many times, how many years he's planned things to work a certain way and all the stuff works the way he thought it should. And his dominoes, they all fall over at the right time and somehow God swoops in and turns all that negative into a positive, how frustrating that has to be for him. And one thing I want to do, I want to frustrate the devil as much as I can. So that's why we always try to reach down to the downtrodden and say, we don't care where you are. We believe there's hope for you. And so we understand that. And we, in this story, uh, once again, uh, Jesus was walking in a path where God was working everything out. Now the scripture does say, be, uh, beware of the type of Judas because uh, we know that Jesus had to go to the cross, but it didn't have to happen through him. So I, I will say this and add this point that just because it, it sometimes needs to happen doesn't mean it has to happen through certain people. So when you have people betray you and do certain things, no one says you have to be in relationship with them again. Yes, you should forgive but that doesn't mean you have to be in a relationship. If you still have the knife in your hand that you stabbed me in the back with, I can like you and love you from a distance. I do not have to bring you into my space. Never let some deep spiritual person say, well, you got to forgive so much that you just let everybody. No one's asking you to be a doormat. You do not have to be walked over and, and, and done dirty. And some relationships, they died because they were supposed to die. They betrayed you because they were no good for you. And God wants you to wake up to that. Doesn't mean you hold grudges and hate people. The Bible says we love and pray for our enemies, but that doesn't mean we have to allow them into our space again. In some cases we do, but in many cases it's to teach you to move on. And once you do break out to a new level, you realize why some, certain people were never supposed to be with you because they never could have achieved to the level that you are going. God delivers us for where we're going, not for where we currently are. And many times we relate to people based on where we currently are. Never forget one person that is part of our, our uh, membership that went through a divorce and it got kind of messy. And we were talking about it. I was trying to help them through it. And one of the things that just really dawned on me in that the moment as I was talking to them and I was seeing their growth pattern, I said, that person you married was the person, the right person for who you were then. But 
they weren't the right person for who you are becoming. So they're like, well, why would they divorce me? Why would they fall out of love with me? And I was like, it's not really your fault, but where you were growing to, they weren't prepared to grow there. So the fact that they left you feels bad now, but it actually is a blessing and you won't see it as a blessing until you get to where you're going. And when you arrive to where God has you, you realize, oh, that person never would have fit where I am now. So the betrayal really actually brings us closer. All right, let's, let's dig a little deeper. Matthew 26, 45. Then he came to the disciples and said to them, sleep and take your rest later on. See, the hour is at hand and the son of man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. And at that hour, Jesus said to the crowds, have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs to capture me? Day after day, I sat in the temple teaching and you did not seize me. So we're putting a whole lot together. Uh, Jesus goes to the Garden of Gethsemane. He goes to pray. He asks, can this cup pass for me? In other words, is there any other way we can accomplish what we need to accomplish? Some people say that Jesus was afraid of death. I don't believe that. But just knowing the separation he was going to have to go through with his father, all the sin was going to be poured out on him. And it was just, and I love the humanists that we see in Jesus. Like, is there a different way? And he actually prayed and prayed till he got what we see, his flesh under subjection. And he finally said, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. And so that that whole story of Gethsemane is, is beautiful. That's where his sweat turns into blood. We, we see great anguish that Jesus was in. We see mental stress, mental health. We see a whole lot that Jesus was going through. But he comes out of that. His friends had fallen asleep. They couldn't go with him. And then he was like, okay, I'm ready. He got himself ready. And then he said, all right, son of man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. And then he makes the statement, like, you guys had all this time to kill me, to do something to me. You didn't do it, but now you're coming after me. And he was saying it sarcastically, but he was also saying because before the time wasn't then, but now the time is now. This is the time that I must give my life. So everything is lining up to this. One of the things that we have to remember when we are faced with a challenge from God that we have to rise to, many times everything will point to us that this is the moment for us to rise to this challenge. And everything pointed to Jesus that this is it. So he was going with it. And so let's look at verse uh, 56. But all this has taken place that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples left him and fled. So he was saying, I I understand all this because the word is fulfilling itself. In other words, he was saying this stuff should make me mad. But the reason why it doesn't make me mad is because, number one, I prayed through. I've got a solid. uh, I'm solidified in my soul through my prayer. And also, I realize this is lining up with what God has said. This is lining up with the word of God. This is lining up with what has been prophesied over me. I I will pause and kind of just take this little quick rabbit trail. One of the things that I've learned to do later on in life that I didn't do before, when people would speak over me, pray over me, and prophesy over me, I would just listen in the moment and, uh, you know, be be grateful for whatever was said or sad for whatever was said because not everything that was prophesied was happy. But later in life, I decided to write things down 
and journal what was spoken over me. And I go back periodically and I look back at those things. And especially when I see that I'm in a season where something that was already spoken about me lines up, it takes a load off because I'm like, oh, this was already said. Or uh, sometimes I step into a place that I'm fearful of because it's new. And then I go back in my journal and I'm like, wow, so-and-so said on this date that, like, I remember one, one particular person, this man passed away. Uh, Brother John, me and you uh, were just talking about him last week, the, the man that, that passed away. His name is Ed Thompson. But uh, he prophesied over me that I was going to another level. I wrote it down, put it in my journal. Nothing really happened. And then I got into a season where all these things were coming at me, and they were all good things, but it was a whole lot of stress and challenges. And I happened to look at my journal, and I was like, oh, I was prophesied that I was going to go to another level. This is here. So now I had the faith to walk in it. So that's what I'm saying again with uh, what Jesus was talking about. As it relates to you and I on just a regular basis, when you hear the sermons that I'm preaching and teaching, certain things hit you all differently. When it hits you in a certain way, try to make a note of it because it'll help you later on when you're in something. It'll be a what we call a confirmation. Let me see if I can do this real quick. When, when you come to church, the major thing you're going to get is information. Another thing you should get from uh, my ministry, because it's the way I'm wired, you should get inspiration. Inspiration without information is no good. So I want to give you information, but I also want to inspire you with the information you get. So you you information and inspiration. But you also should get revelation, something that goes beyond just your head that sits in your heart somewhere. In, in other words, it bypasses your mind and it gets deep in you. Now, we are, we are a church from a Pentecostal background. So when stuff hits us deep, someone will shout amen, raise their hand, or people will stand up. But sometimes you're standing up and don't even know why you're standing up because it's not a head thing. It's a heart thing. It's like something just hit me. Like he said something, and that's what we call revelation. So you have information, inspiration, and then revelation. But then after all of that, after that has sat in you, at some point you should get confirmation where uh, something else happens outside of the church that confirms, oh, yeah, I remember when that was said because it it. It's like in your spirit. So Jesus knew that this was a confirmation of what the word of God had already said. So he asked God, can I get out of this? He prayed through and figured out, okay, this is not something I need to get out. I need to go through with this. And in his case, it's like, you know, should I really die for these people? Living with them, realizing who they were. But then he got the confirmation, this is scripture fulfilling. All right. Let's uh, go a little deeper. Matthew 26, 68, 66 through 68. What is your judgment? They answered, he deserves death. Then they spit in his face and struck him. And some slapped him saying, prophesy to us, you Christ, who is it that struck you? So not only did his disciples all leave him and abandon him, not only did Judas betray him, but now we see him moving toward the track of the punishment. So we use this other uh, movie title that seems way out of bounds of what we were talking about, but it, it was that acronym that it needed, that B-A-P-S. And so from that, I use this. Jesus took betrayal, abandonment, and punishment for our sins. So 
So that is the B, the A, the P, and the S. The betrayal, that was Judas. The abandonment, that was the disciples. The punishment was everybody else saying he deserved death, spitting in his face. But why did he take it all? For our sins. So it was confirmation of what he needed to do because of our sins. Now, the beauty of that is at that moment, none of us in this room and none of us that are online had sinned yet. Not a one of us had committed sin. We weren't even born then. But he paid for our sins ahead of time. And that is so powerful because what some people say is once you get saved, you should never sin again. That's true. I mean, really, that is true. You should never sin again. But the reason why I'm okay if I do sin after I get saved is because Jesus already paid for future sins. And if he didn't pay, some people say, well, Jesus doesn't pay for future sins. Well, that, that can't be true because when he went to the cross, everybody that's living, all of that was future sins. He paid for it all. So if I'm willing to repent and allow what he went through, his betrayal, abandonment, his punishment for my sins, if I'm allow, allow that to take place in my life, Actually, I can get a breakout, and it was already paid ahead of time. We sit in a different place from the people of his day because the people of his day, of course, they got to see Jesus. They, they got to, to know him and see and know his love. We sit in a different place that's some, somewhat more beautiful in the sense that we never got a chance to see him, but we yet get to experience his love. Um, let's see, how can I explain it even better? I'll, I'll, I'll give you a perfect e example. Your great-great-grandfather and your great-great-grandmother, let's go even further than that, your great-great-great-great-great-grandfather and grandmother, you never met them, but their love was a part of what produced you because if they hadn't got together and the next group didn't get together, next group didn't get together, you wouldn't be here. So even though you didn't meet them, their love made it so that you could be here. Same thing with Jesus and his sacrifice at the cross. Yes, we didn't live with him and see his miracles and all that. We're just reading about him. But his sacrificial love is the reason why we can be here today and enjoying the what he did for our sins, which we're going to get into. So once again, he was the inside man working on a redemption that would bring a breakout to all mankind. What are we, what we are doing is we're taking access of that breakout. What is a breakout? Let's go back over it again. A forcible escape, especially from prison. So what Jesus is doing for us, he's helping us to forcibly escape all that sin offered us and move into all that Christ is offering us. And then uh, to a sudden advance to a new level. So we're always going to newer levels and it all goes back to not what we've done, what Jesus had previously done on the cross. All right, so from there, I moved toward that track of punishment. And uh, if you look at it here, here was our first point. In order to break me out, you took punishment for me. So we 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 taken it and we're making it personal. So the uh, the problem with the Bible stories is they are so what we call ethereal. They're out there. They're mythological. But what makes it great is when you start making it personal to you. So many times I've read the story 
But then I start putting myself there. I start putting myself as the betrayer, which I talked about, or putting myself as Peter, the denier, or putting myself as the Roman soldiers that are punching and spitting on him. And when I start looking at myself as that, now, of course, I didn't do that, but my sins were a part of that. And it makes it personal. So I take it out of just being this grandiose thing. And it's not just ink on a Bible and pages. It's becomes real for me. And when you begin to make the Bible real to you, that's when you begin to really get the, the uh, not just the information, but the inspiration, the revelation, the confirmation to help grow you. So let's say this again. In order to break me out, you took punishment for me. You took punishment for me. So we see it in uh, Matthew 27, 24. So when Pilate saw that he was gaining nothing, but rather that a riot was beginning, we're jumping from 26 to 27, he took water and washed his hands before the crowd saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. See to it yourselves. Um, Pilate was the governor at that time in the area. Uh, He was from Rome, but he was in Israel trying to keep things together. So a lot of things came across uh, Pontius Pilate's plate, but this got out of hand. And he just basically said, okay, I, I don't have nothing to do with this. And, and, what, and others, what he was saying, because he was supposed to keep things together. What he was saying is, look, Rome, don't blame me for this. This is their stuff. I tried to step in it. This man is innocent. They want to kill him. I ain't got nothing to do with this. He was, he was a politician. And it got beyond him. And he was like, I'm out, I'm out of it. In other words, my name is Bennett and I ain't in it. <laughs> Leave me out of this. So let's, let's look at uh, the next verse. And all the people answered, which is what I love, his blood be on us and on our children. Then he released for them Barabbas and having scourged Jesus, delivered him to be crucified. They make a great statement that they didn't know how great it was, and it was influenced by the devil. But once again, the devil was working in tandem with God without knowing it. They make this powerful statement, his blood be on us and on our children and on our offspring. And that was the whole point, is that God's blood through Jesus would be on humankind. That was the breakout because the scripture says, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. In other words, what that means is sin cannot go away without some type of sacrifice. There has to be a blood sacrifice. In other words, when we say that God will save you through your sins, we're not saying God is soft on sin. Sin stinks in his nostril. He hates sin. The reason why it may seem like he's soft on sin is because the price for sin has already been paid through the blood of Jesus. He's not going to charge you again because the price is paid. So uh, Benny and John decide that they're going to go to the movies. I say, hey, I want to pay for your your trip. I go and I pay for it. When they walk in with their ticket stub or whatever I've left them, they should not be charged again because the price is already paid. So when we try to grovel in our sins and try to say, oh, woe is me, we're wasting time because the price has already been paid. And when they said his blood be on us and our children and our offspring. Now, now they were Israelites. They weren't Gentiles. They were Jews. But the scripture says when we have faith like Abraham, 
we are Abraham's seed. So we become part of that heritage. So his blood was on us and his and our children. So that covers everything, which is so beautiful and powerful. But now let's add this uh, statement. In order to break me out, you took the penalty for me. So you took the punishment for me and you took the penalty for me. What was the penalty is that sin requires bloodshed. Sin requires death. All that sin, the sin of the entire world, required the greatest human that ever lived to die. And so now I don't have to die in my sins because he already took the penalty for me. All right, Matthew 27, 28, and 29. And they stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him. And twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and put a reed in his right hand. And kneeling before him, they mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. So they made a a public spectacle of him. Now, uh, Roman uh, soldiers were known in the way they were cruel in the crucifixions. Jesus was not the only person to be crucified. We even see in the story that there were two thieves crucified by him. But that's how they kept control was allowing the soldiers to kind of go ham on whatever so that it would keep people in line. So they were known for their cruelty, but it seemed to be another level of demonic cruelty when it came to Jesus because that play, oh, you're the king of the Jews. Oh, so you're king. So we're going to treat you like a king, but we're going to make a public spectacle of you. So they took it to another level with Jesus. And I really believe it had to do with the demonic influence that they were under. Because in Jesus' mind, I mean, excuse me, in Satan's mind, Jesus was the king that he was knocking off of his throne. And so Satan was actually happy that this was going on. So having said that, let's put this next point up. In order to break me out, you took persecution for me. So you took pain for me. I mean, you took punishment for me. You took pain for me. You took persecution for me. Now, of course, we are making it personal. We weren't there, but we're saying our sins attributed all that. So we are understanding he did it all for us because betrayal, abandonment, punishment for our sins. So we are adding this and making it all personal. So let's look at Matthew 27 and 30. So what I was trying to do on Sunday is as quickly as possible, I was trying to tell that whole gospel story of the cross and why it's so important to us. One thing that is kind of sad is that we get in the trap of only talking about it during Easter, but really it's it's the story, it's the beautiful story. And so it's something that we should know about and just understand and sometimes sit with it and live with it and allow it to touch our lives. Um, When I started reading through the Bible once in a year, every single year, every time I came to the crucifixion, I got started going to the point where I started having PTSD in in a sense. I started feeling deeply what he felt, not really feeling it, but I was like, man, he went through all that for me. And the problem is, is that when you read it consecutively, there's several different accounts. So you read it in Matthew, then you see it again in uh, Mark, then Luke and John. And at some point, you, you, you get ticked off at the Roman soldiers yourself. It's like you want to be there 
to fight for Jesus too because you're like, man, he did not deserve any of this. But then it turns it on its head and you realize, but he did it for me. And one thing that I figured out some point in my journey is that if it was only me, if I was the only sinner on the entire face of the world, he still would have had to die that type of death for me because sin is just that awful and it has to have a sacrifice. So my sins alone put him on the cross. All right, so let's look at uh, Matthew 27, 30. And they spit on him and took the reed and struck him on the head. Uh, remember, he has the crown of thorns on his head. The thorns uh, were dipped in something or, or either they were dipped in something or they were from a branch that had poison. So they were already tough, but then when they beat it in his head, it's all poison, all going throughout him. But that's the natural side of it. The spiritual side of it is the mental anguish, the the mental health, the the all the stuff that was being beat in his head. So when we come to our wits end and we are stressed out, not only do we have the picture of Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane, we also have the crown of thorns on his head. And that shows us that he took everything mental for us. So we don't have to be ashamed of anything mental that we go through, whether we need therapy or medicine or prayer or whatever. Jesus went through it all and it represents all for us. And so it's okay for us to say, I'm not okay. We have to realize it's okay to not be okay. And it's okay to say you are not okay as long as you're seeking the help that you need. Because Jesus went through it all. Not only the physical things that he went through, but what the physical things symbolize. And really what it symbolizes is that from the top of his head to the sole of his feet, he went through everything that we would ever face, both physical as well as spiritual or metaphorical or uh, allegorical or uh, uh, literal. He went through it all. So that's what it represents uh, to us. Uh, Once again, you think about him being spit in the face. Uh, some some uh, stories when you study talk about him him being his beard being plucked out, not shaved, but each hair being pulled pulled out, just just cruel. Beat uh, with the cat of nine tails. The cat of nine tails was a whip that had nine different. Um, uh, it was one whip that had nine different things on it, different whips on it different uh, shoots, that's a best, better way to say, or branches on the whip. But on the edge of each one of those nine uh, branches, they would tie some type of material on it, usually metal, uh, maybe sticks, stone. So every time he was hit, not only did the, the nine uh, shoots of the whip hit him, but whatever was on the end of the whip would get into his skin. And when they would hit and pull, it would pull chunks of his flesh. Just, I mean, he was beat in ways that that just we can't hardly comprehend. But the scripture says he was wounded for our transgression. But they said that the stripes was for our healing. So his physical, literal stripes were for all of our healing, whether it's physical healing or mental healing or emotional healing or financial healing. So when we say with his stripes, we were healed. He went through something for that. Verse uh, 31. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the robe and put his own clothes on him 
and led him away to crucify him. What enough for them to beat him, spit in his face, tear out his beard, hit him on the head. Uh, that was all before he got to the cross. He hadn't even gotten nailed yet. Then after all that, then they mocked him on top of that. So as he is losing blood, as he's carrying his own cross, they're laughing at him, saying, if you're so so much God who hit you, whatever. And what we know through earlier in uh, the gospel story that Jesus said, if I wanted to call legions of angels, I could call legions of angels. He could have stopped it in the moment. Think about this just for a second. The person that was beating him and mocking him, he held their breath. So all he had to do was withhold his breath for a second, and that person would have died instantly because the breath of us comes from the breath of God. So he went through that suffering for us. So uh, having said that, let's put this one up here as well. In order to break me out, number four, you took pain from me. So then I broke it out into this abbreviation, YTP me. You took punishment for me. You took persecution for me. You took pain for me. All the other P's we talked about, we look at it that it was done for me. It was done for you and I. It, Of course, it had to be done because of the sin of the world, but let's make it personal. You took it for me. For Andre Mitchell, I'll, I'll even tell you my full name for James Andre Mitchell, not even Pastor Andre, but for James Andre Mitchell, he took that for me. So that was YTP me. And then we said, break me out today. So I still wanted to tie into the breaking series that it was still for a breakout. So he was broken beyond repair. He was broken so that he could break the unbreakable. He was broken so that we would have the breakout. And so uh, with the Palm Sunday sermon and with uh, last Sunday sermon, this idea of today, break me out today, the idea that, yes, there are some things in our life that are going to take a pattern and a process but let's not give up hope in the supernatural moments where God can do things in an instant. He can do things in an instant. He can do things today. So when we were waving the palm leaves, it was to announce to the demonic forces, announce to ourselves there are some things that God is going to do for us suddenly, some victories that will happen right now. And so the same, carrying in that same theme that God can break us out today. Now, both of those things come from the original thing we talked about, broken beyond repair. When we allow God to break us in the right ways, then we can see the supernatural right now things that are going to happen. It's true that our deliverance will not always come overnight, but it is also true that we can experience some things that happen right away. And my life... Uh, Lust and anger held on to me the longest. And it, those are things that I had to go through the process. My temper, uh, the struggles with pornography, that took me the longer process. But alcohol, I was delivered from that instantly to the place where 
I have not been drunk since 1995. I mean, it was an instantaneous deliverance. And I just want to remind us that that is still available to us today. Some things can happen instantaneously. So it's good for us to announce that break me out today. So the whole point of that was to teach us in line with our series, but also to be somewhat clever in the sense that YP, YTP me and BMOT, BMOT is break me out today. YTP me is you took all the P's for me. The whole point of that was if you read it backwards, we were spelling empty tomb. So the YTP me is actually E-M-P-T-Y backwards and T-O-M-B backwards. And so uh, on Sunday, we, we kind of did a little reveal. Now, I wasn't for sure because I was doing it so fast. I wasn't for sure if I allowed everybody to really catch what I was doing. Uh, but I was really trying to teach the resurrection story in a way that, you wouldn't see it coming. And when you're in church for long periods of time, it's not like the Bible changes. So you're teaching the same thing over and over. So I'm always asking God, once he lets me know what to talk about, is there a creative, unique way to tell an old story? So the story is great itself, but you know we, we don't want to just come in here and just be really boring and liturgical, which it's okay some churches are like that. I'm just not that type of person. I, I don't like seeing the same thing over and over. I like something fresh. And so when I seen the way God was showing it to me, I was just like, wow, that's, that's amazing. But really, it was to show you it's all, all about the empty tomb. Because none of this means anything if he didn't rise from the dead. And so when you, when you look at the actual verses of it, uh, we jump into Matthew 28. But the angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. Verse six, he is not here, for he has risen, as he said, come see the place where he lay. And then uh, verse seven, then go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee there you will see him. See, I have told you. So risen, he is the risen Savior. Now, um, around 2019, I read a book from N.T. Wright, and it was something powerful that I hadn't quite thought of then. But he says that Easter is more important to the Christian than Christmas is. Uh, number one, uh, we do know that Jesus wasn't actually born on December 25th. But when you come to the Easter season, it is actually based on Passover. Jesus actually did die on Passover. But the reason why it's more important than what we know of him, Jesus coming to uh, earth as a baby, if he didn't rise again, we wouldn't have hope after life. See, what the resurrection teaches us is that there is actually life after death, not just birth. So the birth of Jesus is, is important. It's magnificently important, but it's really not as important as the death, burial, and resurrection because we all are going to die. And even if we don't physically die because of the rapture, this 
previous life is dying. The, the old earth and the old heaven will pass away. There is a death, but there's a resurrection to something new and better. And when Jesus resurrected, he resurrected much better and much greater. At the time, he was just the rabbi and he was the leader of the disciples. But when he rose, he rose as the Messiah for the whole world. Now, he came as the Messiah, but it wasn't full until he died. But it wasn't even full and satisfied until he rose again. Because what that meant is that he took control of hell because when you die, you had to either be in paradise or in hell. And Jesus told the thief on the cross, this day you'll be with me in paradise. So that meant that he was going to do something to fix hell. So the resurrection means that all that we're doing right now is not for nothing. That when we die, there is a greater life ahead of us. So the empty tomb is so important to us because it means that there is life after death. And what N.T. Wright calls it, life after, life after death. There is something even more. And one of the things that we've done a disservice to in church, we make it seem like the goal is just to get to heaven. That's part of the goal. But the Bible says, and I say it all the time in Bible study specifically, there'll be a new heaven and a new earth. And that's when Jesus will come and literally set up his kingdom on a new earth. So we're trying to get to heaven, but all throughout the Bible, God was trying to come down to earth. And the resurrection shows that we will all have resurrected bodies at some point. And with the resurrected bodies, we won't just be angels in heaven. We will actually be back here on earth and the earth will be the new earth where we won't have sin. We won't have animals killing each other. We won't have people killing each other. It'll be something totally different and we will be resurrected to see that. So the empty tomb means everything. And the truth of the matter is the empty tomb is the greatest breakout of all mankind because it breaks us out of this mold of sin and puts us into a new life and then a life to come. And I still don't know because the Bible doesn't tell us. I don't know what all the life to come is going to be. But one thing we can rest assured, it will be absolutely amazing beyond our wildest dreams. And we get to be a part of it by, based on what we're doing now. So having said that, that's enough to get us into our prayer. Thank you for those who have logged on with us. Let's bow our heads and let's pray. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you, praise you. God, we understand that the resurrection means everything. It means that the trials that we're facing now really mean nothing because when we die, we will immediately be with you. The Bible says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And it is because of the empty tomb, because of your death, your burial, and your resurrection, and your ascension, that we have hope that when we die, we will not have to spend any moment in hell, but we can spend our eternity with you, not just in heaven, but in the new heaven and the new earth to come and to rule and to reign with you. And so even though it's far off and it's hard for us to fathom, we know we're going to head in that direction. And for that, we thank you. Now, God, I'm asking that you would save those who need to be saved, that you would reclaim the lost, 
and the backslidden. And we give you praise for it and help deliver and simple be part of that great harvest that will bring souls to you in Jesus name. Amen. And amen. God bless you all. Thanks for tuning in. We will see you uh, next week. I'm going to spend a little time with my in crew house. So online people, God bless you. We love you.